Welcome to episode three of season three of Read by the Author. Uh, tonight I am reading the next part of Time Anomaly. So hopefully, most likely, we'll end up being chapters six through eight, uh, which are some fun chapters. I'm really looking forward to it. So let's get to the story. Six, give and take. I, I, your wife, I said. Nguyen's eyes wrinkled at the corners as his grin widened. Yes, dear Alexandra, my wife, it's to my benefit and to yours, I think, that nobody questions my marital acquisitions, he said, answering in English. Only then did I realize I had spoken in my native tongue as well. I hoped, he said though I wasn't sure that Asset was correct about your imminent arrival, and her early warning has given me the time to weigh your possible identities while you're here. I shook my head. But you... He held up a hand, cutting me off. Being one of my wives not only gives you a legitimate reason to be here, and me a legitimate reason to spend time with you alone and provide you with ample resources and protection, but it also raises you to the highest-ranking position among the Nijarets of this time. It's the most logical, practical move to make. He raised one shoulder in a half-hearted shrug, and something in his eyes made me think he wasn't quite telling me everything. Not that that was a surprise. My shoulders rose, then slumped. But your wife? Nguyen's grin faded to the faintest of smiles, and he reached up to brush the backs of his curled fingers against my cheek. Much is troubling you, my Alexandra. How long has it been since we last spoke? I frowned and thought back to the disastrous confrontation with Set in the underground temple, just after Nguyen had given me the Ankh-At, transferring half of his power to me. A little over two weeks. My weeks, not yours, I added. The ancient Egyptian week contained ten days. So, fifteen or sixteen days, I think. How long has it been for you? Three long, exhausting years. Three years? I blurted, surprised. For some illogical reason, I had assumed as much time had passed for him as it had for me. Nguyen nodded sedately. And now that you are here, I'll have plenty of time to teach you. Plenty of time? I shook my head and leaned in. What about Marcus? I can't stay here, Nguyen. We don't have plenty of time. You know that. Panic somersaulted in my chest. I have to get back, but I need to know how to keep a pep from possessing him, and... Calm yourself, my Alexandra, Nguyen said, taking hold of my upper arms, until you have enough control over your new power and are strong enough to deal with a pep and restore Ma'at. You must stay here. Not that I had any idea of what he meant by restore Ma'at. Your bondmate will be fine in your time, I assure you. And here, you'll be able to. A man spoke directly behind me. The voice was deep and silken, and it resonated with the very core of my being, making my heart beat faster and my lips attempt to curve into a smile. Though I didn't quite understand his words, there was no mistaking his identity. Marcus. I squeezed my eyes shut. Not Marcus. Haru. He doesn't know me, he doesn't know me, he doesn't, 
know me. Nguyen squeezed my shoulder supportively and pressed two fingers to my temple. I felt a wash of power sink into me, reminding me of how it used to feel when he would block and unblock my memories every time he visited me growing up. My eyes flashed open. What? Nguyen smiled. I've sealed your new power within you. He spoke in English, which I suspected would fast become our go-to method for keeping the more unusual aspects of our relationship secret. Why to hide your rather stunning new eye color, among other reasons? I shall explain what I can later, I promise. Switching to what a set had called the original tongue, he said, Yes, Heru, I have a new wife. He laughed, his gaze shifting to look past me. I found myself in need of just one more, and this lovely creature practically sprang into existence out of the art itself to meet my needs. I pressed my lips together, far from amused, and holy hell was I nervous to turn around. The man who would, in just over 4,000 years, become the love of my life was standing behind me, and he had no idea who I was. Forcing a smile and gritting my teeth, I murmured in English, Maybe it would be best if you just told me how to protect Marcus from this apep guy so I can return to my own time without having to do this. I widened my eyes for emphasis. Nguyen's eyebrows lowered and sadness clouded his multi-hued irises. That isn't possible. What's not possible? Protecting Marcus or me going home? Nguyen sighed. At the moment, both. I leaned in closer to him. Why not? He spent a tense moment searching my face, a moment made even more uncomfortable by the building anticipation forming around us. Because if you return now, you'll both die. And before you leave this time, I must die. I opened my mouth, but shock stoppered my voice. I had known. I really had. This was when Nguyen died. I had known. But I loved this man. Not in the same way I loved Marcus, but few people meant as much to me as Nguyen and the thought of his imminent death. I swallowed roughly. It was like learning that my sister or one of my parents had terminal cancer. I hadn't been ready for this. I would never be ready for this. Tears welled in my eyes. Nguyen, I... I... He tilted his beautiful head to the side. Calm yourself, dear Alexandra. All will be well. All is what must be. Author's note. So it's very fun now. I had no idea about Atom or any of that part of the story when I wrote this. But it's very fun now that Atom is in existence to think about what he might be up to at this moment in the story. (laughs) But his words didn't stop my heart from filling with sorrow or my mind from worrying with possible ways to save him. It didn't seem to matter to my mind that I had no clue how he was supposed to die. Off to my right, a woman strode toward us, rattling off what could only be admonishments and complaints, however incomprehensible her words were to me. I turned my head to watch her approach. She was middle-aged, slender, and remarkably pretty. 
She was also human, which was surprising, considering that the sharp edge to her tongue was most definitely aimed at Nguyen, and possibly at me. It was hard to believe that anyone had the gall to speak to him in such a tone. You speak the original tongue, Haru said. I hadn't noticed him draw closer, but based on the sound of his voice, he was standing a few inches behind me and had to be leaning down to keep his words between only us in a crowd that included more than a few Nezherets. My entire body tensed and my spine straightened with the effort not to lean back against him. Not mine, I reminded myself. He might as well be a different man entirely. He had certainly never mentioned meeting me in ancient times, so I didn't think prolonging our interaction to a memorable encounter was wise. Nguyen might be able to teach me how to block. Haru's memories of me, but the more complicated they were, the harder I feared the task would be. I considered ignoring him, but that just seemed rude. I gave a minute nod. The woman reached Nguyen, near hysterics in her tirade, and another, an absolutely gorgeous Nezherette, was close by her side. But not the common tongue, Haru asked. I shook my head. Then I shall translate. There was mischief in Haru's tone, and I started to understand one of the many ways the passing of thousands of years had shaped my Haru. He had lost this playfulness his younger counterpart offered up readily. My Haru was serious and somber and far too conceited. He emitted confidence and power just by breathing, and when he entered a room, his presence demanded that all eyes focus on him. This Haru was different, less guarded, it seemed, less troubled. I still hadn't looked at him. I wasn't ready. I needed more time. Four thousand years sounded about right. The woman scolding the great father is his primary wife, Ipwet. Haru laughed and his breath brushed against my neck, making me shiver. She is demanding to know when and where he found you. She calls him a rabid monkey. She says he's no better than a... He cleared his throat. Apologies. A horny stray dog who is incapable of controlling his libido and cannot turn down any female who crosses his path. Ah, now she is talking about you. And I do not think you would like me to translate. Enough, Nguyen said, and the woman fell silent. It is done. Raising his voice, he added, Let it be known that any person in my new wife's presence shall speak the original tongue unless they do not know it. Al-Hatur does not speak the common language, and it will be considered a great insult by me if any speak it, simply to keep her from understanding. She is from far away, and despite having a legendary divine reputation among our people, she is not familiar with our ways. The adjustment will be difficult enough for her. The least we can do is make sure she can understand us. He stared at his primary wife. Am I clear, Ypwet? She nodded, and when her gaze shifted to me, sniffed. Ankes and Peppy. Nguyen said, and when the other woman nodded, my mind was blown. Here was Ankesimpepi, Nguyen's Nezheret daughter who, according to Aset, had been the queen or consort to numerous rulers, including the recently laid to rest Pepi Neferkare, and was the highest-ranking Nezheret alive. 
except for me. I frowned, thinking she was taking being dethroned fairly well. Perhaps she should spend some time learning the common tongue so we don't risk upsetting her, dear father, Ankes and Peppy said sweetly, batting her eyelashes at Nguyen. To my surprise, it was Haru who responded, Perhaps I will volunteer to spend some time teaching her. Ankes and Pepe's almond-shaped eyes, as dark and richly colored as the finest chocolate, narrowed to slits. She scanned me from the sandals up, her striking eyes going wide when she reached my face. She is Netjerat? Her irate stare shifted to Nguyen. Why would you take her as a wife? This is not the way. You said you would never, that I would always be... Jealous, Kessie, Haru said, and she turned her glare on him. She cannot give him children, she sputtered. It is not done. It is not done, Ipwet echoed. And yet I did it. There was a note of finality in Nguyen's voice. We are done with this conversation. Do not bring it up again. Both Ipwet and Ankes and Pepe shut their mouths, but I could still feel the outrage pouring off them in waves. Clearly, I had been wrong about the dethronement thing. I have to admit that I am a little jealous, great father, Haru said. He stepped up to stand on my left, and when a slender arm linked with my right, I glanced over to find Aset standing on my other side. Brother and sister were flanking me like faithful guardians. After all, the stories do say that Hathor is supposed to be my wife, and all can see that she is even more lovely than the stories say. I don't know why, but if you guys ever watch the YouTube video, for some reason I have to like tilt my head to the side whenever I am, whenever I am speaking as Haru. <laughs> it's been that way since the beginning. I don't know why. Pulse racing, I turned my head to look at him before I could stop myself. And as expected, he was exquisite. Chiseled features that were both masculine and beautiful at the same time, and were unquestionably similar to Nguyen's. Light golden brown skin, and a lean physique toned enough to make any woman's heartbeat speed up. And just like the rest of the men in the courtyard, his upper half was completely bare, which just made it that much harder not to stare. Everything about him was so familiar that seeing him was like a balm on burned skin. Until I looked into his eyes and my soul shattered. These weren't the eyes I knew and loved. They were the eyes of a stranger. Yes, they were as golden as the sun and rimmed in black, but they were too trusting, too open. Not my Haru. He leaned in closer, his brow furrowed. Are you unwell, Hathor? I took several hasty steps backward and smacked into another body, hard. A strong hand gripped my arm, steadying me. I spun around and nearly screamed when I recognized who it belonged to. Set! I'm sorry, he said, his voice kind. I did not mean to startle you. He cocked his head to the side, scrutinizing my face. Have we met before? I, you, I shook my head vehemently. No, no, we haven't met. Set, Nguyen said. I would like you to meet my newest wife, Hathur. 
I think you two will get along quite well and find that you have much in common. Like our genetics? Set bowed his head slightly and released me. I am pleased to meet you, Hathur. This was too weird. This man, this version of Set who wasn't possessed by an evil spirit, was completely different from the Set who had taken immense pleasure torturing me over and over again. I, uh, it is nice to meet you, I said more or less at a loss for words. Nguyen clapped his hands, making me jump. Splendid. Now that all the introductions are concluded, we shall return to the city. Hathor has come a long way, and we all have another long journey ahead of us. It would do us some good to get some rest. After a brief pause, he added, Tonight we will feast in celebration of Hathor's arrival. Tomorrow we will finish our preparations, and as soon as we are ready, we shall leave Menefer. Much to my frustration, Nguyen and I spent the short trip back to the temple district on different riverboats. I was joined by my original companions, the priestesses and a set, along with set, which only frustrated me further. It was so difficult to convince myself that he wasn't the same set who had beaten me until more of my flesh was bruised than not, that he wasn't the same set who had killed Marcus, that he wasn't the same set I had killed in an alternate timeline. I spent the entire trip focusing on taking deep, even breaths to keep myself from fully embracing the urge to panic. Our boats pulled off to a landing a few ramps down from the one the priestesses Aset and I had used when heading up to Pepe's Pyramid, but we still appeared to be in the same general area based on the wide, paved avenue and the tall, mud-brick walls. The boat carrying Nguyen along with Ipwet, Ankes and Pepe, and Haru— unloaded before ours, and it was impossible to separate Nguyen from the two fairly irate women clinging to him. Call it a hunch, but I was getting the feeling that Kessie, Ipwet, and I weren't destined to be best buds. Do not mind them, Aset told me as we walked down the avenue, once again arm in arm. They are petty. They love power and loathe any who threaten to take theirs. But I have no desire to take their power, I said as softly as possible, knowing that with her Nezaret hearing, Ankes and Pepe could overhear our conversation if we weren't careful. Perhaps, but you have already taken some of their power simply by becoming Nguyen's wife. Add that to the power you already have. But they don't know about that, I said. Aset laughed. (laughs) Perhaps, but to me you practically glow with it like a hundred stars are contained within your skin. But regardless, I would imagine they must feel like a house cat facing an attack from a desert cat. But I'm not attacking them, and I have no reason to do so. With a shrug, Asat said, I never said they were the most intelligent house cats. Were I not wound so tightly, I might have giggled, but I was afraid of what lie ahead and I missed Marcus and my sister, whose pregnancy I feared I might miss completely, and my mom and dad, who I hadn't seen for months, and Alexander, my Nezaret grandfather, and his human wife, Grandma Suze. I missed them all, and none of them but Marcus had even been born yet. As I studied my surroundings, limestone paving bricks and mud-brick walls that seemed to glow in the light of the sinking sun— and nothing less than a small parade of Nezarets and humans ahead and behind me, I had never felt more alone. 7. 
enemies, and nemeses. Our group of several dozen Nezirets and humans passed through a set of wooden double doors in one of the high mud-brick walls entering a large courtyard. It was surrounded by covered walkways on three sides, each lined with fluted columns painted a rich sienna at the base and bright yellows, oranges, and greens around the leaf-like capital. Nguyen pulled me aside almost as soon as I was within the walls and led me toward a doorway on the right side of the courtyard. It opened to a long, brightly painted hallway, at the end of which was another doorway, blocked by a rectangle of heavy linen dyed a cerulean as vibrant as the Mediterranean Sea. Much to my irritation, Ipuet followed. She was so close behind me, she was practically treading on my heels with each step. We must speak alone, husband, she said. Nguyen paused with his hand outstretched to push the curtain aside, but didn't bother glancing back at her. We will speak later. Husband! He looked over his shoulder, shooting a warning glare past me. It was filled with such venom that even I shrink back a bit. When I first took you as my wife, he said to Ipwet, Kari and the others not only made you feel welcome among them, but gave you, but gave us plenty of time alone. Are you so spiteful that you would deny the same courtesy to Hathor? I was guessing that Kari and the others was a reference to Nguyen's other wives, or previous wives. Nguyen, it seemed, was the proud keeper of his very own harem, which now included me. But she cannot give you children, Ipwet persisted. In my opinion, it was a pretty dumb thing to do. Angry Nguyen was definitely one of the last people I would poke with a verbal stick. Why do you need... Nguyen's gaze, still swirling with vibrant colors, darkened ominously. If you continue with this argument, Ipwet, I may no longer have need of our union. After all, you have not borne me a child for over a decade. What further use do I have of you? Ipwet gasped. That was harsh, Nguyen, I said. Ipwet and I might not have been fast friends, but that was just plain mean, especially when he knew full well that there wouldn't be any sexual relations between us. He turned his cruel glare on me. I straightened my shoulders, stuck out my chin, and held my head a little higher. The angry glint faded from his eyes, and the corner of his mouth rose in a small, lopsided smile. He stepped to the side and turned to face Ipwet fully. With a slight bow of his head, he said, Apologies, wife. I spoke without thinking. Much to my surprise, Ipwet turned a furious glare of her own on me. Do not ever presume to defend me again. I do not care what you are. I am his primary wife. I am the mother of five of his living children. You will never be able to say the same. With a huff, she spun away and strode back up the hallway toward the courtyard. I watched her storm away, absolutely dumbfounded. Nguyen took my hand. Ignore her, dear Alexandra. I fear I have spoiled her by favoring her above others, once she was not so... affected. He sighed. But come, there is much for us to discuss. I let him lead me through the curtain and into a small room lit only by the evening light streaming through a line of windows set high in the far wall. Most of the wall to the right was another cerulean curtain, and based on the few carved wooden chairs in the room, I was guessing we were in the sitting room of a suite... Beyond the curtain, I would likely find a larger room containing a bed. 
Nguyen sat in one of two chairs arranged near the far wall, separated by a small, rectangular table covered in tiny, sectioned-off squares. It wasn't a table, I realized, but a game board. Senate, I was fairly certain. I sat in the chair opposite Nguyen. You promised to teach me, to explain, I said, switching to English. So please, Nguyen, tell me what I need to know. How am I here? How can I protect Marcus? How can I get home? How you came to be here was not my doing, dear Alexandra. I only knew what Asset told me and hoped she was right, because however unlikely, it was the only way. The only way for what? The only way for there to be a chance that everything will work out in the end. For Ma'at to be restored to the universe, he said, using the ancient term for balance and order for the second time since I had met up with him. I leaned back in my chair and tilted my head to the side and smiled, just a little. You know, sometimes I think you enjoy being cryptic. Throwing his head back, Nguyen laughed. I crossed my arms and stared at him. If you didn't bring me here, then who did? Nguyen's laughter quieted, but his smile remained. He truly was exceptionally beautiful, but it was a kind of beauty that could make eyes bleed after staring for too long. I couldn't imagine truly being one of his wives. You contain the power to make such a leap through time, he said matter-of-factly and lifted one perfect shoulder. But don't you know? Can't you see it? How it happened? Nguyen shook his head. Your ba is not of this time, therefore it does not appear in the art. It is, as the people of your time say, against the laws of physics. My eyebrows lifted. You must have done it yourself, he added. Tell me what happened, how you came to be here, and perhaps together we can make sense of it. I frowned, biting the inside of my cheek as I considered what he was saying. There was a statuette originally from around this time. I thought it was made of alabaster, but Dr. Issa Asat broke it open and revealed a smaller figurine made of aught. I squinted as I recalled those final few seconds in my own time. It had all happened so fast, it was hard to piece together. It started glowing, and as soon as I touched it, I was thrust back here. Er, now. I pressed my lips together, studying Nguyen closely. You didn't make the statuette, or you could not in the future? You're certain? He shook his head, his bafflement genuine. At this point, in this time, there is only one person who could make such a thing and said it was such a trigger. I held my breath, waiting. You, he said. My mouth fell open. You're kidding, right? I'm not. But, but, maybe you just haven't made it yet, or? No, my Alexandra. Nguyen was shaking his head slowly, a sadness to the movement. I'm no longer able to make such an object. I've only retained as much of my power as was required to keep this body alive, so I could train you, so I could train you, should you successfully make it back to this time, and of course, to maintain appearances. He pointed to his kaleidoscope eyes. I rubbed one of my temples with my fingertips. Does your head ache? Nguyen asked, concern evident in his tone. 
No, I'm just exhausted. Jumping back in time really takes it out of a girl. Dabbing into your new power will become easier, and that the after effects will lessen as you strengthen your control over it, which is one of the reasons coming here was necessary. One of the reasons? Nguyen nodded. Eventually, it will consume you, tearing your ba apart. Sooner rather than later, if you don't learn to control it. You... you stuck me with a power that's going to tear me apart? My eyes started to sting, and I gritted my teeth together to hold back tears of outrage. Nguyen held up his hand. I did, and I also know how to rid you of it safely. But if you don't learn to control it... He raised his eyebrows. Of course, there was always the reality of what would have happened should you have remained in your own time. I swallowed, blinking too rapidly. Which would be... As I already told you, you would die. Why? How? How do you know? I asked in a rush. With the nothingness clouding the ought in my time, it's practically impossible to see anything. Can you please just tell me what's going on? What is this a pep spirit? What does it want? Why does it want to hurt me? And what's it doing to Set, to Marcus? I need to know, Nguyen, to understand. Please. Nguyen leaned back in his chair and sighed. The power you contain is fractured, making it unstable, and it will remain so until I pass the final strands on to you. That instability alone is enough to kill you. And if it doesn't, a pep will, through either Set or Huru. Okay. I was nodding as I processed his words. This could work. We could do this. So why don't we just complete the transfer and... Nguyen shook his head. As soon as we complete the transfer, this body will perish. My heart sank into my stomach. Nguyen, no! Until this moment, part of me had still been in denial. But this was confirmation. The final nail in the coffin. I was the harbinger of Nguyen's death. It is always what had to be, I think. Nguyen offered me a consoling smile. Apep is, well, he was once as powerful as me, very long ago, but we were both very different then. His behavior forced me to separate his shoot from the rest of his being, and his shoot? I recognized the word as one of the ancient parts of the soul, like the Ba, except whereas the Ba more closely resembled the modern idea of soul, this term was historically identified with a person's shadow. Yes, his shoot. You may think of it as his power, or the thing that gives him access to his power. Unlike you or Aset or Heru, Apep and I are not Netjerat, gods of time, but Netjer, beings who belong on all planes of existence, and our shoot, our power, is an essential part of our beings. There are others of our kind who hold dominion over other universes, though we alone exist in this one. Holding up a hand, I furrowed my brow. Hold on. What? Nguyen laughed. It is beyond what you knew of existence, I know. None of this time truly know what I am. God, they call me Nguyen. His laugh turned slightly bitter. 
If they only knew my true name, the identity of my Ren, that part of me that is eternal, just as a pep is eternal. Your Ren? I said, my voice rising in pitch. It was another part of the ancient Egyptian concept of the soul, most closely identified with a person's name. It was the reason pharaohs and other wealthy ancients of this culture took such pains to ensure that their name would be remembered centuries, millennia, after their death. As long as their name was remembered, part of their soul lived on. I leaned forward. That's the part of your soul that makes you you, isn't it? Like my ba is me, regardless of whether or not it's in my physical body? Nguyen's eyes widened, and a moment later he smiled and nodded. Yes, my Alexandra, that is precisely it. Okay, so why did you have to separate a pep's power? Is shoot, Nguyen corrected. I waved my hand between us. His shoot. Why did you have to separate it from a pep's wren? That is an excellent question. Nguyen leaned forward, resting his elbows on the edge of the small table. You see... Ma'at, universal balance, is deteriorating, and if it goes unchecked for too long, then this universe and everything in it will unravel into raw, unbridled chaos. I took a deep breath, then another. I wanted to interrupt with further questions, but even more so, I wanted to hear what Nguyen would tell me, so I forced myself to remain quiet and attentive. In the beginning, when our universe first came into existence— there was balance. Two beings known as Netjer in their complete state, Ra and Apep, maintained Ma'at simply by existing in perfect equilibrium. Each Netjer was made up of a Ren, an eternal soul, and a Shoot, which functioned as a powerful link between the Netjer and the very threads that make up the universe. Together, Ra and Apep guided the formation of the nebula, galaxies, solar systems, and individual planets, conscious that every minute change would cause a reaction somewhere else, which was good, right, because this was Ma'at. But when Ra made a change to a moon near one edge of the ever-expanding universe, resulting in the destruction of Apep's favorite galaxy near the other, Apep grew resentful of Ra and dissatisfied with the unpredictability of how Ma'at would play out. He became mad with a desire for control. He decided that if order could not be maintained through Ma'at, then chaos, imbalance, would be better. He sought this end, this beginning, the only way he knew how, by unleashing his own shoot on the universe wild and unrestrained, and by attempting to tear Ra's shoot away from the rest of his being. Except the Pep underestimated Ma'at. He underestimated the power that could come of a Netjer being truly in balance with oneself, as Ra was, and the Pep no longer was. And it was Ra who tore away a Pep's shoot. Ra maintained a semblance of Ma'at by carrying a pep's shoot to a little blue planet that had only recently given rise to a species of sentient beings. And he implanted both his own ren and shoot as well as a pep's shoot inside a woman who was days away from giving birth. It was your mother, wasn't it? I said softly. 
Nguyen nodded. Odd, I shook my head ever so slowly. Everything you just told me blows most of what scientists and theologists of my time believe about the universe out of the water. Nguyen chuckled. They are still not ready to know, I think, though I will leave that decision to you. I blew out a disbelieving laugh. (laughs) Great. A moment later, I said, So you're raw. The raw. I am, and I am more, Nguyen said. I don't quite follow. He pointed to his own chest. This body contains not only Ra's wren and pieces of Ra's and the pep's shoots, but also a human bar. Together, these pieces combine to make me, a being you know as Nguyen. Ra is very similar to Nguyen in many ways, and will retain all of my memories when this body dies, but he is not exactly the same as Nguyen, for a human bar is not eternal. In death, it will fade as its energy is reincorporated elsewhere. My mind, stubborn as it was, refused to consider the deeper meaning of his final words. Instead, I licked my lips, thinking it was both strange and sort of appropriate that Nguyen was sitting across from me, talking about himself in the third person. He exhaled, suddenly looking so incredibly weary. And I only have pieces of Ra's and the Pep's shoots now. Because three years ago, I transferred most of them into the Ankat and gave it to you. I leaned forward, my skin crawling. Are you saying a pep's shoot is the power that's now inside me? No, dear Alexandra. You hold only the majority of my shoot. His eyebrows drew together. It is Haru and Set who absorbed most of a pep's shoot. Okay. So why'd Apep come after me? I mean, if Marcus and Set are the ones with his power, in your time Apep is after both his and my shoots, and if he wrenches them out of you, Haru and Set, he will unleash their power fully. Then he will unmake the universe, much as he had originally intended ages ago. I felt like the air in the room had thinned, like I had suddenly teleported to Mount Everest, except my Mount Everest was hot and dry, and I really could have used a splash of frigid mountain air at the moment. I took long, deep breaths, trying to slow the erratic beating of my heart. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. I leaned forward and looked deep into his eyes. Marcus almost drowned me. I studied Nguyen's expression. You don't look surprised. He exhaled heavily. It would seem that, split as it is, Apep's shoot gives him an inroad to possess the Haru of your time. Apep is still tethered to Set, but because Set and Haru share his shoot, he is able to possess he is able to possess Haru for short periods. I ran my hands through my hair, yanking off the jeweled headband and scratching my scalp as though I could dig out my frustration and overwhelming sense of helplessness. I kind of hate this, you know. If you weren't here, I let out a despondent laugh. I think I'd lose it. I just want to go home. In time, my Alexandra. In time.
I had an endless supply of questions, but before I could ask any of them, a set pushed through the curtain into the sitting room, closely followed by set, who obviously wasn't currently possessed by a psychotic Apep. But if Apep isn't possessing set, a jolt of panic shot through me, and I half stood. Nguyen, where's Apep right now? Breathing hard, I stood the rest of the way, the chair screeching on the limestone floor as I pushed it backward. What if he comes after me? He could be in any of those people out there. I was breathing too hard, too fast. I can't stay here. Standing, Nguyen rounded the table and wrapped his arms around me, hugging me tightly. His skin was warm and dry, his body solid, something I could hold on to. And at that moment, I really needed something to hold on to. He was such a good man, God, Netjer, and I hated the idea of him being gone. Be gone, my Alexandra. He stroked my hair over and over again, and simply held me as I clutched his shoulders. Be calm. I don't want to be torn apart, I whispered. Shh. And I don't want to lose you. Shh, my Alexandra, do not fret, and the pep will not harm you while you're near me. He's certainly around, stirring up trouble, but he knows that coming after me directly would be suicide. There is no reason for him to suspect that you now hold most of my shoot, and the only ways for him to find out would be for him to witness you using your new powers, which he will not, or for someone to tell him. I pulled away enough to look up into his eyes. I had always loved his eyes, found comfort in their swirling colors. Does anyone know besides you, Aset, and me? I know, too, Set said in heavily accented English. I turned wide eyes on him. How? What? I pushed away from Nguyen and stared at him. You taught him English? Why? A small smile curved his lips. It seemed appropriate. Eight. Lemons and Lemonade. Nguyen had been teaching set English for almost two years in anticipation of my arrival. His justification was vague and more than a little dodgy, but I didn't push the subject. Nguyen could be the king of non-explanations when he wanted to be, and I was too tired, emotionally and otherwise, to even try. Nguyen did explain a little of my situation to Set in English. It didn't matter that Aset didn't understand, since she already seemed to know everything about me. Set was obviously one of the Nezirets that Nguyen trusted the most, and it only went to show me just how different this prepossession Set was from the deranged man a pep would make him into. Set took Nguyen's explanation of where and when I came from rather well, my connection to the future Haru seeming to be the revelation that shocked him the most. Nguyen picked carefully which parts of my backstory he wished to share with Set. He left out such important pieces as, You are Lex's father, and you will be possessed by an evil spirit for the next 4,000 years. I watched Aset as Nguyen spoke, wondering if she was aware of those things, if she knew that Nguyen's death was imminent. I made a mental note to ask him later, when we were alone and my fragmented thoughts had settled, along with about a million other questions. How long must I remain here? How will I get back? Why isn't Nguyen telling Haru all of this? 
What if I bond with Haru here and now? What about bonding withdrawals for me and for Marcus? Does Nguyen have to die? Can't we stop it since we know about it? How did I get rid of his power? Nguyen's shoot. How do I get rid of this power? Nguyen's shoot. How do I restore Ma'at? Nguyen excused himself as soon as he finished his spotty explanation, claiming he had to check on some arrangements, and set left shortly after. I had fallen into such a withdrawn, depressed stupor that a set didn't last much longer, wishing to avoid pretty much everyone. I retreated into the curtained-off bedchamber. My bead net dress felt too restrictive, only emphasizing the helplessness of my situation. In an act of reckless frustration, I pulled it up over my head and threw it across the room, not caring if threads snapped or beads shattered. Shaking, I crouched in a corner of the room, curled my knees up, and hugged them against my chest. My shoulders shuddered as I cried. I felt so lost, so alone. There was a swish of fabric, then... I... I am sorry. It was Haru. My heart sang at hearing his voice, then clenched as I realized this wasn't my Haru. I checked in the aught. Nguyen was supposed to be back here, and... I turned my tear-streaked face to him. He wouldn't have been able to see me in the aught. Not with my out-of-time ba. Just further proof that I didn't belong here. I should go, he said. No. The word came out without thought as I rose on trembling legs, steadying myself against the wall. Please do not leave. Haru scanned me from head to toe, then returned his gaze to my face. The coal that had been so carefully drawn about my eyes was no doubt smeared down my cheeks. For the briefest moment, his eyes again flicked downward, and I became aware that the only thing I had on, the silken linen shift, wasn't exactly substantial. It was more a slip than a dress. Covering as much of my torso with my arms as possible, I glanced at the opposite corner of the room, where the discarded remnants of my bead net dress were scattered in disarray. I wished I hadn't acted so compulsively. Such rash behavior was uncommon for me, or at least it had been before I had met Marcus. Sometimes I wondered if I had been sleepwalking before, if I hadn't been truly awake until I met him. Of course, the fault could just as easily lie with manifesting. Haru followed my line of sight, and as he, too, stared at the ruined dress, there was a long moment of silence. Not having a good day? I started laughing, shocking both of us. It wasn't long before Haru joined me, and all I could do was laugh more and drink in the sight of him. I yearned to sink into his embrace, to feel his powerful arms wrapped around me, to press my ear against his chest and listen to the steady rhythm of his heartbeat. He took several steps closer. What troubles you, Hathor? Comforted by his presence and discomfited by his use of the wrong name, I dropped my arms. Many things? A sudden curiosity filled me. How old are you? Haru's sure grin slipped but he caught it before it disappeared completely. I will tell you my age if you tell me what has upset you. I bit my lip, weighing my options. I picked my words carefully. I am homesick. Haru's golden irises sparkled with mischief. I am very old. 
Unable to hold back a small smile, I stepped away from the wall, toward him. You do not seem very old, especially not compared to the Haru I knew so well. I am older than I look. I tilted my head to the side, as is the way of our kind. What do you miss the most? The question surprised me. What? From your home, what do you miss the most? You? I guess, a friend. I stopped a few feet away from him and studied his familiar features. A good friend. Good friends are hard to find, but I think I may know where you can find one here. His smile, the warmth in his eyes, did much more to melt me than the evening heat. Hadhur? Denai stepped into the bedchamber. Golden one, are you? Her eyes fixed on the tangle of gold thread and turquoise and quartz beads that had once been my dress, and she rounded on her rue. Author's note. I just always loved this part. I don't know. Denai getting all hissy at her rue. You! You scoundrel! Hadhur is not some loose woman. Not like an... Not like Ankesimpepi, and I will not let you make her into an adulteress. She lurched toward him. You deny! I grabbed her arms, holding her away from Haru before she could strike him. I couldn't believe this was the same meek woman I had spent so much time with earlier. Not meek, I realized. Respectful. I did it. I ruined the dress, I told her in a rush. I was upset. Haru was not here when it happened, I swear. Despite my words, the priestess continued to glare at him, her hands curled into tight fists. Uncas and Pepe has been looking for you, she told him. Perhaps you should focus your attentions where they are wanted. Wide-eyed, I stared at Haru. The thought of him being with Uncas and Pepe both nauseated me and made my blood boil. But he's not my Haru, I reminded myself. Not yet. He's not my Haru. He's not my Haru. He's not my Haru. Rubbing his temple, Haru bowed his head to each of us in turn, then retreated through the curtain. Denai turned to me, her livid eyes scanning my face. You cannot go out to the feast like this, Golden One. Your makeup and your dress. A wan laugh escaped from me. Maybe I could just stay in here? After all, my appetite was now non-existent. No, this feast is in your honor. Such a thing would be unforgivable. All right. I sighed and held out my arms. So what do I do? Denai pressed her full lips together and studied my face and body with such scrutiny that I felt naked. Just leave it to me, she said. I can fix this. As it turned out, Denai was right. She could fix it. Or rather, she could fix me. She swapped her linen dress for my shift and quickly refashioned a turquoise, quartz, and gold belt from parts of my ruined beadnet dress. I used a washbowl that had been set on a tiny table against one wall to rinse off my smeared eyeliner, then sat patiently on the floor in the middle of the room while Denai reapplied it with coal from a jar she found in a small wooden chest under the table. Kneeling in front of me, Denai wore a look of contented concentration. There, she said, sitting back on her heels. That is much better. She rose and held out her hands to pull me up to my feet. 
Promise me you won't destroy this dress as well, Hathor. At least, not until you acquire a few more garments. I laughed softly. I promise. After a moment of hesitation, I said, Deny, you know that I am not really the goddess Hathor, correct? She squeezed my hands. You are a very powerful Necherat. Besides, she shrugged, Nguyen would only take a Necherat who was very special as his wife. This I know. But you do not have to take care of me. To serve me, I persisted. You appeared out of thin air in the temple to the goddess Hathor, of whom I am currently the head priestess. Perhaps you are the one who is mistaken, and you truly are her. Often we do not know ourselves fully and must rely on others' eyes to see who we truly are. I frowned. Maybe, I said, knowing that, despite the wisdom in her words, I was no goddess. Come. She released my hands and headed toward the curtain leading out to the sitting room. The feast has begun and you are expected. Wonderful. Denai glanced back at me as she walked away, her eyebrows raised. She definitely heard the sarcasm in my tone, and though she said nothing, I could practically hear her scolding me. I held up my hands defensively and followed her into the hallway. I will behave. And I did. I acted the part of the joyous and excited new wife perfectly, standing by Nguyen's side when he wasn't disappearing into other areas of the villa with this human or that Nezuret. I tried to eat, but I still didn't have much of an appetite, though that didn't stop Deny and the other priestesses from bringing me food and trying to coax me. The food, arranged on several rectangular tables that had been set up in the courtyard, was definitely interesting. A vast array of spiced meat, vegetable and lentil stews, fresh fruits and breads, as was the drink. There was an extremely yeasty beer that would definitely take some getting used to, and some light, jammy red wine that I rather enjoyed. I had just refilled my carved alabaster cup and settled on a bench built into one of the many recesses in the covered walkways surrounding the courtyard for a moment of peaceful solitude, when she found me. Ankes and Peppy sat beside me, far closer than I was comfortable with. I scooted away a few inches, but she followed. Her talon-like fingers latched onto my forearm, and she invaded my space even further. Leaning away, I tugged against her hold, but her grip was surprisingly strong. She squeezed my arm, digging her nails into my skin. Ow, I said. What? You are nothing, she hissed. The female Necherats have been mine for thousands of years, and they will be mine for thousands more. They will not follow you. They will not even listen to you. I will make sure of it. You will be powerless. I do not desire power, I said through gritted teeth. Her eyes narrowed. You cannot have him either. Nguyen? I eyed her. I am his wife. It is done. Which was true. Throughout most of Egypt's ancient history, there was no such thing as a marriage ceremony. A man and a woman simply moved in together and declared themselves husband and wife, and that was that. I do not speak of my father, she said. 
I know that you and Haru were alone in the bedchamber. I see the way he looks at you. You cannot have him. He belongs to me. Anger surged and my eyes narrowed. He's not my Haru, I reminded myself. He's not my Haru. He's not my Haru. He's not my Haru. Fighting back the primal Nezheret need to initiate a second claiming on him was difficult, verging on impossible. I gritted my teeth. Haru is a grown-up. He can make his own decisions. Stay away from him, and I will know if you do not, even if you are cloaking yourself in the ot, or I will tell my father that I walked in on you and Haru lying together as man and wife. She dug her nails even deeper into my skin, and I felt the warm trickle of blood trail down my wrist. Have I made myself clear? Yes. I jerked my arm out of her grasp, not caring that her nails gouged my skin. It would heal, but if I stayed near her for even a moment longer, it was highly possible I would do something that would cause irreparable damage to the timeline, like strangle her. Holding my head high, I stood and walked around the courtyard, sticking to the shadows behind the columns, and retreated into Nguyen's rooms. The space was dark, lit only by the slivers of moonlight shining through the high windows, but I was able to see that a small box had been set on the bed. As I moved closer, I realized it was a cage fashioned from dried reeds tied together with some sort of twine. And inside, there was a tiny, fluffy, sleeping kitten. Oh! I knelt beside the bed and searched the little cage for some way to open it. A knot had been tied on the top edge, latching the reed door shut. As I untied the knot, the kitten awoke, affixing its luminous silver-blue eyes on me. It yawned, emitted a high-pitched squeak, and immediately started purring. Well, hello there, little guy. There was a tremor in my voice. How'd you get in here? The tiny creature squeaked again when I picked it up and hugged it to my chest. As it snuggled against me, a warm and content little ball of fluff, a bit of the loneliness encasing my heart, chipped away. That is it for tonight's episode of Read by the Author, and we will continue next week with Chapter 9 of Time Anomaly. Until then.